0: Hello everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Student Affairs Now. I'm one of the hosts and founders of the podcast, Dr. Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Today, in honor of our upcoming one-year anniversary, we are thrilled to be re-releasing our most listened to and watched episode of the past year, a discussion Dr. Susana Munoz hosted when we first went on the air on October 7th. This episode features a great conversation with the three authors of this book, Identity Conscious Supervision in Student Affairs, Building Relationships and Transforming Systems. We suspect this episode has received so many hits over the past year because this topic is perpetually relevant. This episode provides practitioners with practical and strategic approaches to engage in the self-work, identity exploration, relationship building, consciousness raising, and organizational change. If you are looking for tools to make you a more effective supervisor of staff from a range of backgrounds, this episode and book provides one key tool towards improving praxis. We hope you'll enjoy this rebroadcast of identity conscious supervision in student affairs. Thanks for watching. Hello
1: and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host Susana Munoz. Today, we're talking about a new and exciting book titled Identity Conscious Supervision. I am thrilled that today we are joined by the three authors, scholar practitioners, and generally just fun people to hang out with. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope that you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find us at studentaffairs.com or on Twitter at now exclamation point. As I mentioned, I'm Susana Munoz. I'm an associate professor and program chair in the Higher Education Leadership Program at Colorado State University in Fort Collins. My pronouns are she, her, hers, yeah. I'm hosting this conversation today from Fort Collins, Colorado. Re- with respect, I wanna acknowledge that I am um, on the lands of the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute Nations peoples. Now let's get into our conversation. We're here to discuss a new book titled Identity Conscious Supervision in Student Affairs, Building Relationships and Transforming Systems with Three of the authors. Please introduce yourselves and the relationship that you have to the topic.
2: Well, thank you so much for having us. Uh, My name is Rob Brown. Uh, My gender pronouns are he, him, and his. uh, And I serve as a director of social justice education at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. And uh, I'm calling in today from Chicago. And in addition to that, I'm also a third-year doctoral student in the Higher Ed Leadership Program at Colorado State University. Um, and so what kind of got me engaged in kind of doing this book is really my lens is both like a scholar and a practitioner. so as a practitioner, um, I have been supervised, I am a supervisor, and um, it is super hard. Uh, it is a, just a very difficult thing. And I think as a supervisee, I don't know that I always um, understood that complexity, um, made sense of it and, until I was really in the role of a supervisor, particularly a professional staff. And so uh, it's really through some early conversations with Truthy, who was my supervisor at one point mm-hmm. in my career, that um, we started talking about some of those complexities and realized that uh, more folks in our field needed to um, start having some of these conversations particularly with a clear lens around inclusion and equity um, which is kind of thinking in an alignment with my broader research interests um, in equity and inclusion in higher education. Um, so uh, through, through time you know I've been able to partner with Shruti and Craig who will introduce themselves in a moment and um, have really been fortunate to uh, continue to build really strong partnerships and collaborative relationships with them. Um, but more importantly, just really strong friendships. Um, so I'm excited to join you all today.
1: Thank you.
3: Sure. See. Thanks, Rob. Um, and thank you for having us today to talk about this. And just it's always a great opportunity to spend time with Craig and Rob. So I always appreciate that. Um, My name is Shruti Desai. I use she, her pronouns. I serve as Chief of Staff for the Gephardt Institute for Civic and Community Engagement at Washington University in St. Louis, Um, and I'm on the academic side of the house, so a little bit different of a lens, Um, and as Rob mentioned, we uh, went on a supervision journey together, and in that had a lot of conversations about identity, and um, as identity is important to me, equity and justice work is really important to me. Always felt some dissonance between the way that I was told to supervise the way we did performance evaluations promotions. um, Merit raises and my values around identity and inclusion and justice. And when I started interrogating that a little bit with the team that I worked with. um, It, we found that a lot of us were struggling with this. I think you couple that with the retention um, and job satisfaction and mental health, more and more um, challenges that professionals who have marginalized identities face, um, there's a clear need in our field for to talk about supervision. Um, And a lot of times people leave jobs not because they don't like the work that they're doing, but because they don't like environments and managers. And I think we have a lot of work to do and a lot of growth um, that could happen in our field around that intersection. Thank you.
4: Beautiful. Yeah, just echo, Thank you for being here for having us here today and and, and love time with Rob and Shruti. Um, every time we get to do this, it's a joy. Um, so yeah, my name is Craig Elliott. Um My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I currently serve um, as the assistant vice president for student affairs at Samuel Merritt University in Oakland, California, and also have a leadership role in ACPA as well. Um, and um, yeah, just this was a journey um i think we talked about so there's so many stories in 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 the book from our own experiences of of the the okay supervisor experiences um the good the handful of really good ones that we had but a lot of really challenging experiences that we had along the way Um, and you know this i I mean i share with um truthy and rob about this kind of motivation that i had about i wanted to do better um, in my supervisor experiences, you know it was a lot of on the job learning um, and um, it, identity was always at play and i and I never knew how to engage it meaningfully in the relationship um, and um so that kind of drove me to being a part of having these conversations with Robin Shruti. but I also say i had i mean I knew it was something for us that was our motivation for doing presentations and and writing this book but it, it was I was, I, I'm still surprised about how much of a need it is out there for others. Um, just uh, the, the, the demand out there and the, con- the continued conversations um, about people needing help engaging race and gender and orientation um, and class um, and ability and how all those things play out in our lives but very specifically in a supervisor relationship and um, how there's lots of challenge and, and fear there but also the the potential for uh, transformation. Uh, this could be a really powerful um, relationship in our lives um, if we all did our work to have that happen. So, um, so there's some really great uh, positive hopefulness that that has come out of this for us as well. So, just great to be here and be in conversation with y'all. Yeah, this is
1: awesome, and I I love that this. You know this kind of stems from personal experiences that you've all had and you're absolutely correct like i remember being you know in my practitioner role and not necessarily getting a lot of guidance around supervision but i kind of want to understand a little bit about sort of your your sort of where you sort of enter in the conversation in terms of personally and so rob like can you explain what motivated you to write this book and and um, from sort of a per- personal sense and and why um, you feel it's important in the fields of you know, student affairs and higher education.
2: So um, so just in like full um, authenticity, right, we did not right. go into this sitting down <laughs> saying we want to write a book, you know, and, uh-huh. and I think some of that is rooted in our backgrounds as practitioners, mm-hmm. um, Some of that is rooted in um, some some class dynamics I mean just even just the the notion of i'm going to write a book was not in my consciousness uh, and so um, as i as I kind of gained um, some motivation to write this book, a lot of it came through um, doing what I'm more you know, apt to do, which is present. And so you know, Shruti and I, and then Craig joined, we were presenting on this topic with practitioners. And as we were engaging with them, there was this hunger that we were receiving from them for more, like we want more, right? we need this, more people need to be talking about this. And so mm-hmm. some of the motivation just came out of a need to be responsive. Um, and then an invitation, right, from um, Routledge, our editors, to, to think about, and, and I think in, in some ways that invitation from them was immensely validating um, for me uh, to think about this as a scholarly endeavor and a, a, a practical one. Um, and then as we actually just kind of got into the, the outlining and the brainstorming process with, with each other, um, you know, Shruti, Craig, and I are very much so grounded that... Um, this needs to be both kind of a, a head and heart exercise. So kind of how can we think about this intellectually, but also um, how have our own lived experiences really informed the lens in which we kind of experience the need for this text. And um, as I reflected on that personally, um, you know, I am the the youngest professional like of this, this group. and And so just in my young career, um, as a um, black man working in student affairs, I often have navigated isolation around those identities and finding community, finding mentorship. Um, that was a big aspect of my supervisory relationship with Truthy and um, kind of what started getting this ball rolling of kind of how, do, how does identity play out in this, in this role of, of supervision? and you know there's really like two um, real I think seminal moments that have validated the need for for me to write this book and I think one was was with Sruti and talking about this need for um, kind of black male mentorship and, and why I couldn't find that at the university in which we were working and um, really leaning on her for that um, as, as a supervisor and um, at one point in our conversations, I think she was really great about like hearing that and wanting to connect me with colleagues and folks that she knew who could provide that type of lens and support. And then uh, after a while, um, as I kept pushing um, on, you know, she you know, rightly so um, pushed back on me and, and, and shared like, you know, well, what, what am I to you? Um, and I think in that moment, I was like, whoa, Totally like missing and erasing um, the the mentorship that I'm receiving um, from Shruti as um, another person of color, woman of color, um, who has shown up and held so much space for me to process through my identities. And so even just to think about identity with more complexity in the context of supervision was kind of one motivator. The second, experience that really stuck with me came a- after our time working together and I was working in multicultural affairs where identity is so constant as you know you work to support students and campus um, and you know it was about five years ago um, uh, you know I was making sense of um, the murder of Eric Gardner um, and was uh, just sitting in my office alone one day and watching this, this video um, you know, that first time that we heard, um, I can't breathe, and uh, was just at a loss and at such a, a, a low point, um, personally, professionally, but was in my center, sitting in my office. And um, that same evening, um, there was, a, you know, students quickly organized and there was a vigil. And as a, as a staff member, I got asked to attend that vigil. Um, by my supervisor and their supervisor um, to, to, to show student support, to be present. Um, and as I got out there and I was gonna, you know, just be there to be in solidarity and supporting students um, as they navigate it, kind of whatever might come up. Standing out there in the cold, I just started like crying, um, you know, myself personally. And in that moment, I was like, God, why didn't no one tell me I should not be here. Why did no one see me that night, right? As both a human and a student affairs professional, right? And I think it is in that memory, like it still lands on me so heavy. And I I know that um, there are so many practitioners as as we just this week, right, um, who had to, sit and make sense of Breonna Taylor's loss and continued injustice and go to work
0: and Mm. pretend
2: and kind of operate as business as usual in the way that we have corporatized higher education. And I I think that feeling that I feel that I I can relate into with so many practitioners in this work, particularly people of color, but I think this work shows up around marginalization in, in so many different ways. Um, you know, created the motivation where this book had to be written, uh, mm-hmm. not to fix all of that, but at least to speak some level of of truth into that into that void. Um, and so um, mm-hmm. that continues to um, be remotivating, and 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 and, um, and I find myself as we continue to talk to folks about the book, um, that continues to be a, a major point of, of dialogue. Um, that folks are starting to reckon with and make sense of.
1: Thank you so much, Rob. And thank you for showing up as you are in your authenticity. Um, And I think what you've discussed is super real in terms of what we're navigating in these times. Um, And in your book, you do talk about racial battle fatigue um, and how you bring in critical race theory in terms as tenants to look at sort of our leadership models or, or, or courses of leadership. Um, what do other folks think about sort of how we're navigating our current times, um, given the importance of this
3: book?
4: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'll go next. Um, yeah. so just, I, and Rob, just Mm -hmm. beautiful. I just want to acknowledge, Mm -hmm. um, emotions and the feelings and, and, And you know, I think um, we spent a lot of time together, and I'm still moved by that experience that you shared. Um, and it, you know, I think it reminds me of. And it, you know, I appreciate how too we we, we brought it back to Brianna Taylor about how like it it has not um, eased up. And and I don't know that it ever has, but I think in in this last five years, it's been such a visceral experience of racism, and how that's infused in our country, in our country and and our campuses, in our profession, and just how omnipresent it is. And I you know I think I what I love about what Rob shared is that. It's we're trying to. I think I think we had a we had a a vision, a hope, if you will, about bringing the humanity back to what we do and who we are in our roles. Um, and there's no, there's no question I, that I think any of us here and probably lots of our professionals see our work as as in connecting with students' humanity, but there is a clear gap in us connecting with each other's humanity and often how our institutions see us as. As, uh, as employees on our campuses. And I think, you know, same thing. It's like, you're here to do a job, go do it. Um, and, you know, this kind of, and what we, what we ended up calling this identity neutral um, way of engagement and way of relating with each other um, does so much harm and perpetuates um, so much pain and, and creates trauma Um, But uh, I think about the invisibility of of our colleagues, our friends and colleagues that are are giving their hearts and souls uh, to to care for students and educate them um, and be some good positive force in their lives and in our our campuses and our leaders. And and we, like, you know, I hold myself into that because I've done that more than I care to admit, um, but how we forget to see who's working with us um, in our tasks. because of how we're trained, because of how the system works, because of how we're, we're taught, we're, we're onboarded, we're normalized um, and told how to show up on our campuses in higher education. And, um, you know, I think it, it's so, it's so frustrating and hurtful. And and, and and I'm angry, you know, there's a lot of, we had to, we spent a lot of time processing through kind of all of our feelings and, and doing this, but just this anchor that, it was, you know, almost 30 years into my professional career before I was able to have meaningful conversations about identity, on in my role on campus, and holding in, in terms of supervision, but also as a as an AVP and, and an administrator on a campus, and what that means, and how do how do we how do I show up with, um, and, and it, you know, those are the interesting things, like the showing up with is a whole different paradigm. Unfortunately, it's a whole different paradigm from what we've been what we've been given. And I think Rob talked about that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's go show up for um, rather than the show up with. So it's, you know, I think that the humanity, bringing the humanity back and, and the hope, because um, I still, you know, like I think we are, we still believe deeply in what we do and, and, Mm -hmm. and as educators and as, as, as practitioners and, and um, caring professionals that, you know, higher education can change the world. We can be a part of that transformation. Um, We can, we can help be really positive sparks for our students in, in all of their identities. Um, And so this is, was a part of us trying to help make that happen. Mm. Awesome. I,
1: you know, it's, I I feel that the emotion of that this this was a labor of of love but also um, deep emotion for everyone um and I you know I I I honor that and I think that that's that's a beautiful thing that we don't necessarily see in student affairs scholarship is is bringing your full present self in in the work right and so I appreciate that and um Terci, did you want to add anything to to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think with the way Craig ended of just, we got to find a way to get some hope. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm reading one of Brene Brown's books, and I know she's complicated, but talks about hope as a skill set. And I think we forget that. I think we just want hope to be this ideology or this intrinsic thing, but it is really a practice skill over and over again of, I got to stay hopeful. And I, I've, you know, if I saw Craig walking down the street, I'd be like, who's this like progressive hippie white guy and not even like engage in um, conversations, but being in relationship with him, I'm able to have a little bit of hope that there are white folks um, in student affairs who are doing the work or trying to change systems. Um, Rob as a straight Black man is always like, Shruti, you're like undervaluing yourself, you gotta and so advocate, we advocate for each other in a way um, that disrupts these systems, that disrupts the messages that we've internalized and I think that what we sometimes want to do in student affairs and in higher education is fix things without doing the hard painful work of internal reconciliation. And I think I've been in St. Louis for about 10 years now and was here when Michael Brown was shot and killed and um, have had several incidents since then. And I remember the first time Michael Brown was shot and killed um, the list of demands from students. Mm -hmm. And I remember now the George Floyd list of demands from students and it it, it is so frustrating to me because when are we as higher education and as student affairs gonna reconcile ourselves with the values that we impose, the values that we espouse, and the work that we're actually doing, right? Um, and it is like, hey, should you're queer, why don't you go serve on the LGBT advisory board? Cool, I don't wanna do that. I, you know, I wanna come home to my partner and hang out with my dogs and, and or compensate me for doing that. Um, and, I, and I feel also, I think we feel responsible of, I want this to be better for our students and I want this to be better for our next generation and so there's this constant like conflict of values that is occurring. Um, and it's been interesting to watch as we were doing a series at work called two pandemics. One is the COVID pandemic and one is the racism pandemic. Um, and it's been interesting to watch the university across universities um, of who's t- presidents and deans and vice presidents all really being in the weeds of COVID because people are dying But when it comes to racism and people are dying, it's not the same response. Um, and I just, I'm like, what do we, do we not see that people are dying because of racism and transphobia and classism and all of these other things? Um, so I keep waiting and hoping for higher ed to have some reconciliation around this. Um, and I see people leaving our, brilliant, brilliant scholars leaving our field and, um, if they're leaving our field, I just wonder what's what's next for our newer professionals. Are we gonna be able to keep doing work that really is impactful to our students? Um, and I know for many of us, we're called to and love what we do and we're also frustrated and want more from our institutions.
1: Yeah, I, I totally resonate with that, particularly sort of like the the discrepancy in labor and who's doing the work. You know, in, in my class last night in student, um, um, you know, development. Uh, we we talked about this notion of agency, right? For students, it's a readily you know used concept. But it, you know, at what point is is that labor for students that you know is is seen as um, additional an additional burden that they have to endure on our college campuses? And um, yes, we we see these lists and demands, and it's all sort of led by students. You know, we sort of, you know, guise it under this sense of agency, but it's also, it's also labor that they probably didn't have to do if our campuses were, were just in humane spaces, right? And so I appreciate you bringing that into the conversation. And, and, and Trusi, um, I wanted to um, also talk a little about this concept of courageous leadership and how that gets enacted in, into the supervision. I, I really resonated with that. I'm wondering if you can even talk about it. What does that look like in the academic affairs? You know, what, you know, how, how does that get, you know, talked about or practiced or implemented and enacted? So if you can say a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, I think the beauty of academic affairs is tenure, right? Um, faculty just have more agency in voice and, um, because of tenure. And so our, some of our biggest advocates, we had um, a panel last night about the debate and uh, the faculty members we had on it were had the opportunity to explicitly name, this is racist, this is um, classes, this is, you know, and, and I think staff and students, we have a little, we have to walk a little bit more of a tightrope because we don't have that um, backing or the, Support that we're not going to lose our jobs, that we're not going to be suspended, and I think our students have a little bit more agency, but still they struggle with. I don't want to. I need to get a job when I leave here. I want to be hired. Particularly students from low-income backgrounds who have a lot more on the line and don't have like the network of their parents and their grandparents and their whatever. Um, But I think when we can partner with when Student Affairs and Academic Affairs can partner, I think there's. a stronger voice um, that is given to some of these topics and some of the change that happens, needs to happen on our campuses. Uh, Faculty have clear research and clear um, kind of critical thought and access to the provost differently than the average student affairs person does. Um, And I think that the piece around tenure when you can really partner with them and ask them to leverage their voice, uh, that makes a huge difference Um, But I also think that that's how dollars are brought in, you know, particularly on a campus like mine, that the med school and the research brings in huge dollars for the university. Um, And I think we'd be fooling ourselves to say that doesn't matter. It does matter Um, where the money is and how it's coming into universities is really important. And so if we can also leverage that, um, I think that starts to get on the radar of um, chancellors and presidents and board of trustees differently than students who are making demands who have been making demands for the last 4, 8, 10, 12, 20 years. Um, so I think if that's an area that I think universities can continue to grow and learn in. Thank you. Anybody want to add?
1: Anything?
4: You know, I just it's truth, you talked about the, the the courage with the power dynamics on campus and how to navigate that. Um, I also think this this idea of, for, for me as a as a as a white male, uh, straight white male practitioner, um, it's also in, in for those of us in our dominance um, identities about being the having the courage to to lead these conversations and to start them. Um, because I think the way we navigate through some of the, the power dynamics and the fear and, and the and the lack of protection um, that some people in our campuses have is we're supervisors helping lead some of that. And you know, I think as as I'm working with in, with new professionals coming in to work with me, I think it's it's us establishing that this is part of what our relationship is. Um, but sometimes it's also for me to to show up and say what needs to be said. Um, in a one-on-one conversation in the hallway on campus, when we used to go on campus and have conversations in the hallway, or in the meeting. Um, and I, white people have, we don't have good practice in this. And so um, and so there's a lot of fear of making mistakes in this whiteness. Uh, there's a lot of training that comes with that that we have to unlearn. Um, and I also want to acknowledge that it's, if, if we've not had these conversations before, they're really hard to start. And so, um, so one of the things I think that we did a great job with is just saying we have to start. Start where you are, mm-hmm. be messy, um, and but try to do re- the good work in the moment. People will see that, um, and and hold that more than the fumbling and the and the mess that you make. And so we we want practitioners, and especially those uh, with dominant identities, to to be courageous, to be a, to start having these conversations and have identity be. An appropriate and an effective part of the relationship, because it matters
1: mm, yeah, I like how you brought up too that you know this notion of fear and the lack of protection. I don't think we have enough conversations about that. that just climate in itself impacts identity and how we show up, and so I'm happy that you, you brought that up. Rob, did you want to add anything to the to this?
2: I would just echo that. I think in, in what mm-hmm. Craig is, is sharing is that there's a there's a vulnerability required mm. um, that, that we are contextualizing supervision in and that um, I think traditional hegemonic notions of supervision is top down. Uh, it's like you do for me, I make the rules, I have all the answers and I think we are trying to move from that um, kind of one direction supervision relationship to an actual relationship that is co-constructed and power aware, right? And so there's a a giving up, there's a vulnerability that's kind of required within that. Um, One other thing that I would say that, you know, our book attempts to maybe start having folks think about is how are you also courageous beyond the individual relationship and advocating for change within your department, within the broader like human resources system um, at your institution. So uh, it's great if you individually support me, um, that's wonderful. And if, if there is not broader um, structural change that, it's in, in, that is increasing access to employment, that is um, putting equitable policies in place um, that is ultimately going to either um, cause folks to leave the university or to never find their home at, at your university. And so um, as supervisors, depending on like, your level of positionality and, and power and influence, I think that's another place where kind of we prompt um, practitioners to think about um, courage in that context um, to, to intervene and to advocate um, at that broader level as well.
1: Yeah, I totally vibe with that. I think, you know, the courage, you know, application to systemic change, to transformational change. Again, you know, we we focus on sort of sometimes these these band-aid approaches to higher education, right? But not really looking at it systemically and in the institutional legacy that we have to really address in, in these conversations. So I appreciate that. Um and, and Craig, as someone, you know, who is, you know, uh the leader of one of the, you know. National Student Affairs Association's APCPA, um, you know, how does this book maybe transform, you know, climate? You know, we talked a little bit about sort of, you know, notions of fear and, um, you know, this lack of protection, you know, how how does, you know, how does that our associations, you know, um, use this, utilize this book to, to transform our campuses? Yeah, it, it
4: was, it, yeah, and I would say too, I, we, so, so the answer I think we're, we're talking about, it, it's systemic change, changing um, and really part three of the book um, talks about the systems change work that we need to do and, and both you and Rob also talked about it as well. Um, and, and I don't, when we started either, when we started presenting and when we started writing, this was not yet something that was formed. Um, we knew that work had to be done at the individual level, the self-work um, and the work of relationships but also as Rob talked about the courageous part about showing up in, in, our, in our representative roles in our groupness, um, both in our professional roles, but also in our identities and who we are on our campus. Um, but really, we, once we started to do that, we quickly began to understand that it's, we, we can't be stopping there. We need to be, we're here to do good work. Um, social justice asks us to um, change the system um, and you know, resist, not just resist oppression, um, but transform the environment um, so that um, oppression doesn't continue—you know—continue you know, continue to happen, which is liberation. Um, and so we, for us, really, we came into it with a liberatory mindset. Um, and and this is too where I think it's important this idea of critical hope that Shruti talked about—that um, we believe that there is a possible thing out there, um, and it's we're—it's not a naive hope, uh, but it's a critical one to say it's gonna it's gonna be a hard road and. Uh, we're going to encounter resistance all along the way. And I mean, uh, you look at this week, last week, the month before, we're getting all kinds of resistance. And so how are we continue to do our good work collectively, individually, but then collectively um, to create this change. And um, so I think that, um, so I think this, this book gives us an opportunity. Um, It is not the only way to bring liberation um, in higher education or on our campus. Um, or in our divisions, Um, but it's but it's a way. And we clearly saw the path that doing changing the way that we supervise supervising from an identity conscious way and authentically and vulnerability um, can lead us to create opportunities for that transformation on our campuses um, and in the profession, you know, I think it's, you know, connecting the the work that we did here with the work that we've been doing in ACPA for many years that started with um, with Donna Lee and then continue with Stephen Quay um, and Jamie Washington and, and myself and then Vernon Wall now, um, this strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization, um, that's, that's a huge um, map, a vision, a, a critical hope for transformation for higher education. Um, and, and it's massive and there's so many different elements of that. Their, their piece that they wrote, uh, was brilliant. Um, and interestingly, a lot, there's a lot of similarities there about, you know, sent love in the center, um, that they wrote in, which is, which is our relationships of the center too. And what we would also all say is love, um, also, but there's, it's a, there's a path for that. And we, so one of the ways that we're, we offer through this book is, is, is supervision is a key part about that. Um, and I, I will say too, it's it's inspiration for me individually, me refining my own practice. Um, but it's inspiration for me too as a um, as t- to be a part of this change energy, um, and, and to be a part of liberation on our campuses that that professionals that follow us. Um, you know, we're, I hope we're influencing professionals to change now, but really the, the ripple that we put in place is gonna be for the generations that are gonna follow us. And um, so for us to be one small part of this bigger movement that um, eventually transforms higher education so that it is, it, it's, it's a learning environment that, that allows every student who comes through yeah, it's, to thrive to find exactly what they need to be lure, to be wonderfully challenged and grow, but th- for them to thrive and find their purpose um, and go out and, and to make their ripple out in the world. Um, and so, you know, so it, it's a big thing. And I, I think we, well, I wish we had four more volumes to talk about the, the change work that we wanted to do. Um, and we also knew that we, it was important that we started here, that we didn't get just dist- to get lost in the big picture. We talked about the really critical work that we can do on a daily basis um, for supervision that, can, that makes a huge difference. And, and I would say at, a, at, a, at that micro level um, that if we, can, if we can transform that experience of, of professionals coming to work and doing great, excellent work on our campuses, that's a huge difference um, that it makes. Um, and that, that directly changes people's lives. So that we can then continue to partner and change our students' lives.
1: Yeah, I, so I appreciate that. and you know one of the things that I know I will be doing is assigning this book in our graduate program because I think this is really a great way to not only influence sort of our, our, our professionals and rethinking how you know we, we center love and hope at the, as we navigate higher education, but um, it's so needed it's so needed. Um, And so I'm hoping that other programs will follow suit and and assign this book in their programs. Um, And so we're at our last question. I just kind of want to ask, this is, this program is called Student Affairs Now. So what are you pondering or questioning or troubling now? And so I'll start with Rob. I know put you on the spot a little bit.
2: Um, thanks for putting me on the spot. Yeah, it's all so, about <laughs> I know, um, a lot, I, I'm, I guess I'm trying to um, track my energy as I travel is, is definitely up for me now, um, but, but beyond that, I think about, um, you know, how do we have the work that we are doing in higher education? Um, truly responsive to the voices of our students and and our youth, um, knowing that that is who will fill the halls the zoom rooms of higher education and so much of what I am seeing and and, and hearing from them um, is this this statement that like things do not have to be the way they are um, which is I think just a, a powerful Um, statement of resistance, but also a statement of hope and possibility. And um, as I reflect on my work, as I engage with those students, as I engage with other um, scholars and practitioners, um, I am often wondering and pondering um, kind of what in our ecosystems within higher education um, doesn't need to be the way it is now. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 realizing that that is something that we have control and agency around, right um, And so what comes up in that context is rejecting fear at times, like um, that sometimes comes up rejecting the un the, the unknown um, and how that comes up. Um, rejecting scarcity um, that puts us into these false binaries of choices that that we need to make. And then, really leaning into to, to possibility um, and and the wisdom that we can learn both from youth, but also from from elders. Right, there are folks who have done this this work before. Um, there is um, radical transformation happening right now in the present um, that we can be students of and become students of. Um, and so, that's really where I'm investing my energy is. Kind of, where am I seeing um, radical truth tellers, folks engaged in the practice of transformation, um, folks engaging with a sense of um, kind of radical hope, uh, and and I am like running as fast as I can, onto um, those spaces, those people, those those forms of literature, um, and trying to consume that energy as a way of of, of looking forward, and I think um there's so much of that happening right now even as we are in the midst of what is a incredible mess um in our nation in our world in higher education and on our campuses and so um from an energy standpoint i can only consume so much of that mess right Um, right before you know it starts to bog me down a little bit and so finding those glimmers um amidst the storm has has, has been something that I am looking to to ponder, to question, to seek out in the now.
1: I love that, thank you, Bob.
3: Truthy, what about you? Yeah, I, I don't get to spend that much time with students anymore, but I am. I pay a lot of attention to newer professionals in our field. And as a South Asian woman, um, thinking about who role modeled and paved paths for us, I think about Banta Ap- Akapati, Ajay Nair, Smita Razika, you know, Shadia, and so there's, there's folks ahead, but there's only four or five folks ahead. And I know that they've what they've gone through to get into these vice president, vice chancellor, dean of students positions. um, And the pain that they went through and the things that they had to listen to um, and how many times they were told no and had struggled with imposter syndrome. And for that generation, being kids of immigrants, the whole notion of healing and mental health and therapy were not palatable things. Um, And I look at this generation, particularly South Asian professionals who are coming and I see them valuing themselves, even when the system is saying, you're not valuable. Um, And I think that's when the power and the shift and the healing happens. Um, because we've done our own work, because we are investing in ourselves, because we know that there's a lot of lies out there around who matters and around whose work matters um, and how people are compensated um, and who gets promoted and who gets published and who doesn't. Um, and I think people are finding particularly, I'm not that old, but like at the particularly the generation behind me, um, who's saying, yes, and I still matter. Yes, and I'm still going to get published. Yes, and I'm still going to get promoted. Um, and I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I, and I think that that's really powerful. Um, and I think that's going to help us help students um, and increase our retention and increase our pipeline for students from low SES um, and students of color. And that's hopeful. Um, and I keep waiting and we'll keep waiting for a reconciliation. But the the generation behind us and the generation ahead of me gives me hope that this reconciliation um, for higher education is coming. And it's gonna be one way or another, um, either through our finances, through our board of trustees, through enrollment dips, it's gonna become more than just, we need to do diversity inclusion work, it's gonna be in order to survive, in order to be relevant, in order to admit students and get students here, this has to be in the ethos of what we do day to day. And I am excited about that. And I see institutions already moving in that direction um, and sometimes taking a few steps back, but continuing to fight and move forward um, in those ways. And I, you know, as presidents retire and new presidents come along, um, there's gonna be some change. And I am really excited about that. Thank you,
1: I appreciate that. Craig, how about you? What are you, what are you pondering?
4: Yeah, yeah. I, so I would say I, I, I appreciate how, what Shruti said about the pandemics. And so I'm wanna, pondering about how, how do our institutions engage the pandemic of racism and the pandemic of sexism and misogyny and the pandemic of uh, trans oppression um, and the others with the same kind of resources and the same attention and the same fervor that they've done with the pandemic of COVID. Um, and I know we're struggling to, to keep balance with that, that um, it's easier for us to engage about the health crisis of COVID than the health crisis of racism. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'm wanting us to, to, to bring equity, bring that same kind of attention to addressing racism um, and sexism and, and transphobia and, and hate of all kinds on our campuses um, with, that, with that same attention. And I think it also reminds me too that I think, um, so I, I'm wanting professionals to be a part of those efforts um, and we can, there's a, so much we can do right now. So it also reminds me of do what you can. Um, we all mm-hmm. have spheres of influence as Beverly Daniel Tatum talks about so use your sphere of influence to to make a difference and to create that that change work. Um, and for those of us that are supervisors, um, there's work there for us to be able to do. For those of us who are being supervised, all of us are being supervised by somebody. We can then begin to initiate those conversations um, and to bring about this um, this this critical hope and this critical liberation that all of us have talked about. Um, our our students. Deserve this. Our our upcoming professionals deserve this. Our campuses deserve this. Um, and so, just for the, the call to action for all of us to to show up and and start addressing all of these pandemics, not just some of them.
1: That's brilliant. I love that There's reconciliation towards liberation. You know, finding glitters of hope and really addressing that. You know, the pandemic of racism. I think those are those are awesome. Last thoughts. I am grateful for all of your time today as guests on on Student Affairs Now. Uh, You can receive reminders um, about this and other episodes by subscribing to the Student Affairs Now newsletter or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and invite others to subscribe, share on social media or leave a five-star review. It really helps the conversation like this reach more people and build a community so we can continue to make this free for for you. Again, I'm Susana Munoz. I want to really thank our fabulous guests today and everyone who is watching, listening, to be kind to yourselves and make it a great week. Thank you.